Hello and welcome to Spiritual Shit, your guide to the down and dirty of modern spirituality. This podcast is a place for people wanting to discover more about spirituality, where we can get weird about ghosts, mediumship, aliens, psychics, religion, new age, awakening, ascension, starseeds, channeling, holistic health, philosophy, and even dating. Some shows will be just me rambling about my mystical experiences and discoveries, while other shows will have guests to open up new perspectives and views. I hope you'll join me on this journey as we discuss and open up what spirituality in today's modern world really looks like. Remember to like and subscribe to never miss an episode and hit me up at thelovelyleah.com or at thelovelyleah on Instagram so we can connect. Become a Patreon supporter to get access to behind the scenes of our guests, freebies, early access to new episodes, discounts on merch, and more. Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm so glad to be with you today and uh, very excited about what's coming up for the, today's episode because there had been a lot of mystical things that have been happening in my life lately. And it has been kind of a interesting turn as a result of when I recorded this episode, that some of the more physical stuff started to manifest. Uh, as some of you guys know, on Instagram, you've seen that I posted a video, uh, where there was an orb that showed itself to be present during one of my readings. And it was, it was so cool to see it show up like that. And then, uh, just a few days ago, I came downstairs into my office and there was a very large orb there and it wasn't just like, you know, right like something you saw in passing, it was floating very much in front of me, like almost trying to get my attention, doing kind of a, uh, eight or infinity symbol in front of me. And it kind of froze. And I was like, what is happening? Like, I don't know what to do. And, um, it kind of disappeared to my left. So I turned around and looked at my altar, uh, where I have pictures of my grandparents and some people in our family who passed. And, um, you know, just kind of asked, you know, is this y'all like, <laughs> is this you guys? And this, this light, and it's so, it's so bizarre because I'm trying to like rationalize out, like it could have been this, it could have been that. And it's it, it just not, I tried to test it, but you know how it, it looks when, um, maybe, you know, your, your piece of jewelry or something, uh, catches the light and it reflects on the wall. It kind of looked like that, but without like a certain shape. And it showed up behind my grandmother's picture, you know, this golden beam kind of of light that was just there and it stayed completely still. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? And then it did a few circles around and then disappeared. And I was like, fuck, I just saw that. Yeah, I, that's, I just saw that. Hmm. So, <laughs> uh, very interesting new things that are popping up per my, um, intention to say that it was safe to see again um, for me to get more in tune with, um, those spiritual parts of myself. So we will be getting into that in this episode about how the brain is, um, possibly responsible, uh, for some of our spiritual interactions. And, um, before that, we'll get into a couple of housekeeping things. One, if you are listening and you're an Instagram uh, follower to make sure that you are following at the lovely Aaliyah with no extra L's, no extra A's, no extra underscores. Uh, I'm getting about a hundred messages a day now from people that are saying, Hey, is this you? Did you follow me? Do you have two accounts? I don't have two accounts. I just have one. 
Um, so to block and report whoever that is, I, I find that it's important for me to say it on the podcast. Um, so that way you guys are aware and you aren't being scammed. A few people have fallen for it and have spent their good, hard earned money on readings that are not legit. So, um, I'm really sorry about that. And I feel, I feel really bad about it. I'm just like, I, I hate that that someone is using my likeness and other people's likeness because this is like the new scam, um, to, to take advantage of people who may be vulnerable or needing real help at this time and just bugs the hell out of me, but I'm trying not to let it take too much of my energy. Um, yeah. So, uh, if you, if you really want a reading, I think what I'm going to start doing is, um, moving that access over to Patreon. So, um, you know, for sure that you're DMing me and that you're talking with me personally. And, um, yeah, I think we're just going to move everything over there. But, um, what I wanted to announce is that if you're a Patreon member one, we have this really, really dope end of the episode that we didn't get into in this podcast about the Akashic records with Dr. James Hart. And so, um, I believe that's something you don't want to miss if you're really interested in, um, you know, the records of, uh, you know, the beyond, if you will. And also we're going to start offering, um, monthly readings for a certain tier. We're going to have, um, new moon circles and rituals, meditations, collective holding space. And then for those of you who would like you to, um, improve your card reading or your intuitive reading or something like that, we're also going to have kind of a, a mystery school tour, um, tier, sorry, uh, that where we can practice on each other. And I'll facilitate it and, and help and give you good feedback if you're trying to work on your gifts. So that, that tier will be limited because we will only have a certain amount of space so that can become intimate. Um, but if you want, you can just become a $3 tier person until that's uh, announced. And then that way you have first access. Last but not least, we are having a workshop on October 10th at 11 CST time, 11 AM CST time, um, to talk about spirituality and you know, essentially using your gifts for business, using your gifts for abundance. Um, so if you've been thinking about starting a business with your spiritual gifts, if you are a card reader, an energy reader, a psychic, a medium or whatever, um, we're going to talk about that, how to build your business, um, in spirituality in a, in an ethical and an authentic way. So that will be available to the $10 tier. So if you'd like to be part of that workshop, uh, as I said before, go to patreon.com slash the lovely Aaliyah. And if you would like to talk to me personally, DM me questions, things like that, you have to do it over there, not on Instagram. So anyway, let's get into the episode right now. Dr. James Hart is the founder of the BioCybernaut Institute and an expert in training with biofeedback. He has worked with the likes of Tony Robbins and other high-powered executives to elevate the states of intelligence and consciousness for over 40 years. The Institute has centers located in the United States, Canada, and Germany. After having a life-changing event that completely altered his view on religion, life, and the cosmos, Dr. Hart devoted his life to the study of electrophysiological basis of advanced spiritual states. He has traveled around the globe in the pursuit of his research and to India especially to study the advanced yogis with his technology. From Zen masters to Christian prayer, Dr. Hart has continued his relentless pursuit of advanced brainwave and meditation connections that allow people to become the best form of themselves, including reducing limitations and addictions, experiencing more joy and less anxiety, improving health and awareness, and developing more meaningful relationships. 
Dr. Hart is a celebrated research scientist with an established history of over 40 years in the study and research of biofeedback, and he's authored and co-authored countless scientific research papers on the subject and currently has more than 30 patents for the core technology, headset, training methodology, and brain-centered portion of the various virtual reality applications. His findings have been published in numerous scholarly journals such as Science Psychophysiology and the Journal of Experimental Psychology, just to name a few. He has also spoken in front of the United Nations. He has received a Bachelor of Science degree in Physics from the Carnegie Institute of Technology, as well as a Master's degree and PhD in Psychology from Carnegie Mellon University. Please welcome Dr. James Hart to the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Spiritual Shit. I'm your host, Aaliyah Lovely. And today we have Dr. James Hart, who is the founder of BioCybernaut Institute, an expert in training with biofeedback. Can you say hello to everybody? Greetings. Hi. We're really excited to have you on the show today because you, you merge the spiritual with the very scientific. And um, in my research, looking you up and the stuff that you talk about, I got, I got really excited because we tend to talk a lot about healing and, and, you know, some of the more elusive things, but you have a lot of the kind of the background and the backup essentially in the science world that I'm really, really interested to get into today. So, um, before we get into all that, um, I would love to hear your story, um, your origin story, (laughs) um, you know, where you came from, what you've been through that got you to this point, got you interested in this stuff. My dad's father was a Lutheran minister in the most fundamentalist subdivision of Lutheranism, the Missouri Synod. So I had a pretty heavy dose of Protestant fundamentalism. I was, uh, my parents were married by that Lutheran minister grandfather and he baptized me. Uh, I went to college as a physics major, uh, science geek, math whiz. And uh, in the fall semester of my senior year, I came out of the student union after lunch and uh, was met by a huge sign uh, where every letter was hand painted in a slightly different color. And it said, Dr. Joe Camilla will speak on brainwaves and consciousness. And it gave a time with, oh, that's just five minutes away. And the building was Margaret Morrison College right across the tennis court. And uh, I didn't have a class that hour. So I went. Now, I had a, a very close friend who was a grad student at Duquesne University studying phenomenological psychology uh, and phenomenology. And there were a group of French Jesuit priests in uh, teaching phenomenology following Merleau-Ponty. And I found this stuff fascinating, but mm, mushy. How do you like measure it? How do you measure experience? Uh, how do you speak experience? And there didn't seem to be a way. And suddenly, with Joe Camilla talking about brainwaves and consciousness, I realized that there is a way. And uh, I've now gone to the extent of uh, trademarking a little saying, brainwaves rule. (laughs) They rule your experience, your thoughts, your feelings. You can't have the perception of blue or yellow or orange, unless you have the brainwaves for those in the back of your head. And if your eyes were closed and you had those brainwaves, you would still be seeing that color because brainwaves rule. And so any method that you use, drugs, sex, drumming, chanting, meditation, brainwave feedback, they only produce interesting experiences or uninteresting experiences 
if you have the brainwaves for that. So brainwaves rule. And this is a sort of a lingua franca it cuts across all traditions of raising consciousness or changing consciousness by referencing the brainwaves. Do the drugs change the brainwaves? Well, yes. Does sex change the brainwaves? Yes. Does meditation change the brainwaves? Well, yes, if you do it long enough and right. So does brainwave feedback change the brainwaves? Yes. And very quickly, much faster than meditation. And so brainwaves rule. Now, of course, I didn't know any of that at the time. I was a Protestant fundamentalist physics geek. And so, but Dr. Kamea and I established a warm uh, uh, correspondence. And when I graduated next semester, end of next semester, I got on my Triumph motorcycle and I rode up into Canada, ran across the Trans-Canadian Highway, then down I-5, getting off to go to San Francisco. And I showed up at Joe's lab and I volunteered as a research subject in his sort of ad hoc studies. Mm -hmm. And I had, uh, it was the most fascinating thing I'd ever done in my life. It was very primitive, one tone, one electrode, middle of the back of my head, one three digit score. Uh, but this tone came and went depending on things that I was aware of happening in my head. I didn't have much control over them, but aha, therein lies the secret of the feedback. You get the feedback, you kind of are aware of something going on in your awareness, in your mind, in your brain. And so then over time with practice, you learn to control. So I had three days, about an hour a day. And it was so fascinating. I just had to have more. I went back on the fourth day, but they weren't doing any studies. But I'd become friends with uh, Dr. Kamea's San Francisco girlfriend, Joanne Gardner, who worked in the lab. And I went to her office and said, hey, Joanne, would you uh, take me downstairs and hook me up so I can play? Mm -hmm. Sure. And she did. Put me in the chamber and uh, went upstairs, got involved in her work, forgot I was there. Some hours later, she left to go to lunch with nine other members of the lab crew. And in course 11 of a 12-course Chinese lunch, she remembered, oh, my God. And <laughs> they all pile back into Paul Gorman's VW camper band, go racing across town, run up to the building, rip open the door to the chamber, and interrupt the late stages of a most incredible adventure. I'd had out-of-body experience, ego disintegration of flying around the universe, <laughs> different galaxies and star systems, and encountering discorporate beings, consciousnesses that didn't have bodies. And this was quite a lot for a Protestant fundamentalist physics. Right. <laughs> and then the door is ripped open and there's 10 people standing there and they're asking me, well, you know, well, well this has never happened before. You know, nobody's ever been forgotten in the chamber for that long. <laughs> so what happened is as I'm talking about these things, Paul Gorman, who, whose BW camper van had been used, him and his wife toured India the summer before, he would say, oh, that's a meditation experience. Oh, oh, that's a meditation experience. Now, I could probably have spelled the word meditation. I had no clue what it was. Or <laughs> So, uh, and for the next three days, I walked around out, so out of body that my feet were like two and a half feet off the ground. Mm. Uh, but then shortly in the summer, it's over. And I jump back on my Triumph motorcycle and I ride this time through America, across the country, going back to Pittsburgh uh, which was had been Carnegie Institute of Technology over the summer and merged with Mellon Institute and became Carnegie Mellon University. And so I somehow knew that I was going to be involved in very weird stuff. <laughs> had to get my rational mind stamped with somebody's seal of approval. 
So I registered for a PhD program in psychology. They liked me, they gave me full scholarship, $2,200 a month to live on. And uh, I began, I did a master's degree in one year and then won a pre-doctoral fellowship and went back to San Francisco to do my real doctoral research in Joe Camilla's lab. So that was the origin story. Wow. <laughs> um, what what a cool experience. When I was listening to you talk on some of the research that I was looking at, I was like, wow, like to have what would consider to be an accident uh, to un unveil a really massive amount of, I guess, opening to, to knowledge that you had no idea before. It's the awakening, if you will. Um, so you currently are the founder, correct, of the Cybernautic Institute? Am I saying that right? Biocybernaut, yes. And a biocybernaut is to inner space what an astronaut is to outer space. Right. And so it, this has opened up your whole career path. You've become obviously fascinated with it. Um, and something that I, upon my research, so I'm going to tell you a little story because uh, sure. we don't know each other very well. <laughs> uh -huh. um, but when I was a kid, um, I could see angels oh, and wow. I could see spirits and things and people coming back and people who I know who have died or whatever, stopping by and saying, hey, cool. tell your mom this, that, and the other. Um, but when I was about 10 or 11, I had this really scary experience, um, that completely knocked out my ability to be able to see what was that experience. So, okay. There was, um, essentially someone who, a being who looked like it was my mother, but was not my mother who had walked into the room very much like a silhouette walked in and it kind of looked like a marionette the way they were walking. And I remember thinking, I can't hear their mm -hmm. feet. Um, so that kind of freaked me out, mm -hmm. but they were playing with the door open and shutting, open and shutting. And so once they finally walked in, they were standing over my bed and I was thinking like, why is my mom trying to scare me? My parents were kind of pranksters. So like, I was like, they're not going to get, you know, get one over on me. I'm going to act like I don't see her. Um, and they still stood over my bed for a good 20, felt like 20 minutes. Um, and then when they left, and it was really scary at, the, at that point because they started to get really close to my face. And so I pulled the covers over my face and I was just like, I don't want to see you. Um, and then they walked away. And when I pulled my covers down, I could see them turn their head and then slam the door. So my sisters woke up because they heard the door slam as well. And then the next morning, my parents were getting at us because they were like, you guys were messing with the door and you were playing, we can hear you playing with the door back and forth or whatever. And I was like, that wasn't me. That was you. And so we're going back and forth like you did it. No, you did it. Um, and then eventually my dad uh, pulls me to the side and he says, okay, I know, I know what this is. I can see them too. And I was oh, like, wow. wait, what? <laughs> um, so this is kind of the origin story of this podcast, because I've had some of these experiences in my life and didn't feel like I wanted to be the only one looking for my community here. Um, so yeah. with that, I've always questioned, um, you know, was it the, the scariness of the experience that I made a conscious decision to shut that part of my spirituality yeah. down? But the research that I saw that you did on uh, the particular video that I watched about angels, you talk about the brain waves in such a manner that there is a part of the brain that I'm going to let you explain because I'm going to butcher it, um, that mm -hmm. essentially predisposes people to be able to see angels so more than predisposes enables enables there we go so like i want you to get into that first and then i have a question for you if you can explain that to people how that works well uh, there is a particular brainwave pattern that i recognized many years ago uh and i'll explain it in some detail um you know most people let, let's talk about the body the physical body uh most people they're 
quadriceps in their legs are bigger than their biceps in their arms. And how funny you would look if it was reversed, right? You had these big, huge, bulging uh, you know, quads on your, on your, between your shoulder and your elbow, and your, your legs were these skinny little biceps. And so in the same way, there is a sort of uh, common, typical uh, distribution of alpha waves across the head. 80% of people have their biggest alpha waves at the back of the head in what's called the occipital region. And uh, it's also usually uh, biggest in the non-dominant hemisphere uh, because the dominant hemisphere, uh, you know, is busy doing its thing. And it's when the brain relaxes and lets go that the alpha can emerge most strongly. So 93% of adults are right-handed, uh, which means they have a dominant left hemisphere because there's this crossover. And so most people have their biggest alpha in their right rear of their brain. Now, uh, that leaves other locations, because uh, that's 80% of the people have dominant occipital, leaves 20% of the population that have biggest alpha elsewhere. And so uh, a, a subset of that 20% have alpha bigger in their centrals than in their occipitals. So that's one of the two requirements for being able to see angels. Then uh, so the centrals, both centrals need to be bigger than both occipitals. C3 and C4 are bigger than O1 and O2 using the International 1020 Electrode Placement designation. C3 and C4 bigger than O1 and O2. But isn't just the ratio. They have to exceed certain thresholds. And so on our scaling system, uh, the way we measure brainwaves, we convert the energy in the brainwaves into numbers. Uh, in our system, uh, the centrals need to be at least 1,000 to 1,100 each, and the occipitals need to be at least eight to 900. And if these thresholds are not met, then it's very unlikely, not impossible, I'll give you an counterexample, it's very unlikely that there will be enough energy to the perception to break through the belief systems that most people carry mm. uh, against seeing such things. But in terms of turning it off, let me uh, share a story with you. Uh, uh, for a number of years, it was shut down last year because of uh, COVID and people not being able to travel. I had uh, one of my training centers in uh, British Columbia, uh, Victoria, uh, uh, British Columbia, Canada. And uh, there, you know, Canadians have a lot of ice. So they got to be creative what to do with it. And so there a lot of Canadians are nuts over hockey. You know, when you got a lot of ice, what do you do? Will you play hockey? Mm -hmm. This guy who's mid-30s, he came in and he was close to the pattern. He had centrals bigger than occipitals, but he didn't have quite the power that would have been needed for me to say, aha, you see angels. And so after repeated a couple of days in the record, I said, you know, you I have a pattern that's very close to being able to see angels. Uh it's not quite there, but do you have any comment on it? And he starts to cry. I go, oh, dear, what's wrong? So then he tells the following story. Starting at age seven, he had an angel guide. Now, his father fashioned himself as a hockey coach, and so he had started his little seven-year-old boy uh, playing hockey. Uh, and the father would give very strict instructions, like, you never shoot when you're in this and this and this and this kind of position. Well, he'd be out on the ice 
and his angel would be there and he'd be in one of those positions where the father said never ever shoot and if the angel said shoot he'd always score a goal <laughs> infuriated his father because he's doing the boy is doing exactly what the father told him not to do and he's scoring goals <laughs> So the father would, you know, get angry and angrier. And by the time I think he was 14, this had escalated to the point where the father was so infuriated at the son's success in shooting from positions that the father would continue to not approve of <laughs> position that the 14 year old boy realized he either had to give up on his angel or he had to give up on his relationship with his father. Wow. He told the angel to bug off. But there was a residue in his brain activity of that former contact. And so he said, can I get him back? And I said, do you want to? He said, oh, absolutely. And he cried some more. And I said, okay, we'll go in there. And the, the, you're, you're doing your alpha one training. So you're hearing boom, 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 boom. Focus on the high-pitched tones. And that will boost your centrals more than your occipitals. And his angel came back. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's like muscle like training <laughs> absolutely yeah wow so if if that's the case are, are, is there a way that people who have never obtained or had the ability to see entities in the first place can train themselves so they can well brainwaves rule and so you know if you start out as a 98 pound weakling can you become charles atlas well yes but <laughs> your time and your life energy are you going to put into that hmm. uh there's a, a, a possibly apocryphal story from india that uh, i'm reminded of there was this uh very uh, uh young boy in a village in india uh who decided he wanted to learn to walk on water and so there was a local yogi who claimed to be able to teach that and so the boy left his family left his school uh, and he went and he studied with this yogi. And now he's uh, almost 90 years old. His teacher has died. And he's at the point where he's now mastered the, the skill. And he comes back to his village and people, he, everybody he knows has died. Uh, but people remember him because he was kind of like sort of infamous locally. And he goes down to the river and he walks on the water and everybody's all impressed. But some of the elders say, well, you know, if he'd been willing to use a boat, he could have had a life. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I hear you. I hear you. Because there, there are people that ask, and we talk about this a lot on the show. Um, one, there's a lot of fear associated around seeing anything in the first place. Um, yeah, so there's not- That's a the belief filter. I mean, people are scared. Well, the thing that happened to you, let's talk about what, what happened to you, Leah. Um, there are just like, if you go into the jungle, there's a wide variety of creatures. Some of them will ignore you. Some of them might be friendly and others want to eat you. Mm -hmm. And so whenever we give instructions to our trainees, if something shows up, uh, you say, if you're not of the light, you must leave now. Now, humans occupy a very privileged position in creation. Humans have free will. According to religious theology, angels cannot have a thought or an intention different from the will of God. But there are dark beings that, in fact, can do evil, can do harm, and uh, they can do possessions. I mean, we sometimes have uh, people who have possessions. We have, uh, you know, so this is Sedona, and so there's a number of uh, places that people can go 
to have entities removed. Um, at one point, some years ago, six or eight years ago, I had a hernia operation in uh, a hospital in San Francisco. And uh, so I, when I got back to Sedona, I went immediately to one of my shaman friends who scanned me and found that there were 26 young, the energies of 26 young men who had died in that hospital from AIDS that oh. hadn't known how to go onto the light and they'd taken up, you know, refuge in me. And so the shaman, you know, invited them to leave and sent them onto the light so they could continue their journey. So these things are, you know, they're, you know, if you walk through a briar patch, you, you know, you're likely to pick up briars and you have to pick them off your socks and your mm -hmm. pants and your shoes. So it's just part of life. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if that's the case, if that we, we have this ability in our brain to be able to develop and, or naturally have, uh, the, the power size, whatever, uh, in the waves in order to access, um, the, the communication with these entities, uh, beyond our physical plane. Um, is it, is it, I guess the question I want to ask is one, is it something in our brains that we are making up? Uh, that would be the question that a lot of people would have. I'm, I'm pulling that in from them that we're making something in our mind, or there's something quote unquote wrong with our brain and or gifted with our brain that we're seeing these entities communicating with something that is non-physical and, or is our brain operating with a type of consciousness that we're able to access through the ruling of the brain waves, as you said, um, that's giving us better access to the non-physical plane, uh, in a more spiritual context. Well, uh, Ramdas, who was a very important teacher for me, along the way, uh, I, I actually did a uh, week meditation retreat. I would talk to him on the phone uh, uh, frequently. Um, and uh, when Reverend Michael Beckwith came for his uh, first alpha training, Reverend Michael has now done five alpha trainings, um, he phoned up uh, Ramdas, who was on uh, Maui at the time. And I said, Ramdas, uh, you know, you have been such an important and, and, and valued guide in my personal growth. I want to offer you a free alpha training. And he said, Jim, if you were on Maui, I would be there tomorrow. And uh, he said, but where I feel right now, I'm just not into traveling you know, to the mainland. Uh, so uh, the idea of being able to make these changes uh, is, uh, you know, it's, with meditation, the process is slow. Uh, in 1993, I published a paper showing that the seven-day Alpha-1 brainwave training program, our, basically our Brainwave 101, um, uh, produces the same changes in the brainwaves as are seen only in advanced Zen meditators, those with 21 to 40 years of experience in a study done in Japan by Kasamatsu and Haro. Mm -hmm. And so technology speeds things up. If you can produce the brainwaves, then you can have the experiences. Now, some people you know, are naturals. When I had the extreme privilege of moving my technology to a secret army base where US Army Green Berets were being trained, uh, one, I had two 12-man teams. One of the 24 soldiers had the pattern for seeing angels. And after I'd given base signs to everyone, so I knew what their brainwaves were, and then I had a private interview with each one. And when this guy 
you know, big buff killer dude sitting across the table from me and I'm looking at his numbers and I'm looking at him and I'm going, mm, how do I, how do I pop the question? <laughs> I just said, do you talk to beings that other people don't see? And it was like, I hit him with a two by four. He went back in his chair. He almost tipped over. Uh, he's hyperventilating. Look, like, did anybody hear that? And he said, how do you know? And I said, well, I see it in your numbers. He said, I've only told my best buddy on pain of death if he would ever tell anybody. I go, well, I see it in your number. So what do you see? He said, well, when I'm doing my martial arts training, which is a part of learning to be a Green Beret, they teach you martial arts. This, He said, this old Asian martial arts master shows up and he coaches me and nobody else can see him. Hmm. So, you know, there's this kind of consensual stuff. And if... You know, the centrals are just a little bit over the threshold and the exceptionals a little bit over the threshold. The what? The centrodes? The central electrodes. Oh, oh central. Okay. Got it. Yep. If the alpha at the centrals and the alpha at the occipitals are just a little above the threshold that I know, then, you know, people will report, you know, some experiences. One time I had a woman in training, her centrals were higher than our occipitals and all of her scores were over 2000. And when I said, do you see angels? You go, oh, there's hundreds of them around me all the time. So back to Ramdas. Ramdas described the three great planes of reality, the physical plane mm -hmm. plane, and the causal plane. Now on the physical plane, there's immense variety. You can go to a tropical rainforest. You can go to the dry valleys of Antarctica. You can go to lush uh, jungles. You can go to the bottom of the ocean. Uh, uh, wherever you go, you find different kinds of, there's even bacteria that live in rocks a mile down in the earth. I mean, so there's, the planet is teeming with life. And so on the astral plane, there's, uh, well, Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many mansions. Ramdas said, the astral plane has seven levels and the Christian concept of heaven is the lowest of seven levels of the astral plane. Where beings exist, they don't have physical bodies, they have light bodies, and many of them can change the light body. So mm. they appear as this or that or the other thing. And then there's a causal plane where the consciousnesses don't even have a light body, they just exist as pure thought forms. And in my whole history of the maybe 7,000 people who've done the some form of the biosabernet training, I've only had one person who in their alpha one went all the way to the causal plane. Hmm. But I have seen it. I have seen it happen. What does that look like? Well, it was interesting. It was a psychology grad student who was passionate about health and nutrition and consciousness, had very disciplined meditative practice and uh, very disciplined in terms of exercise, doing his asanas, uh, and uh, very disciplined in terms of food, and uh, especially very disciplined in terms of food. Now, uh, he, his ego had, gave a counterattack. So, you know, he goes to the causal plane, he has an experience there. And the ego was so upset that that night he went home and drank caffeinated sodas and ate greasy hot dogs, which he hadn't <laughs> done probably 10 years. So, yeah. You have a breakthrough, the ego will often try uh, a counterattack. Because the subconscious wants to keep you safe. Well, uh, he, ego wants to stay in control. And if you slip out into, into higher states of consciousness, ego can't go there. And it's like it's, it's the, the parasite lost its host. Mm. Uh, the ego is the parasite and you're the <laughs> host. And, uh, you know, if you break free, if you slip free, uh, break those surly bonds, uh, then the ego will 
gnash your teeth. And, but the point is that uh, the thing that happened to you was very likely one of the dark spirits who they, you know, the astral plane beings can take on different forms. And, uh, you know, even though it didn't have footsteps, it could open and close or even slam a door. Uh, and uh, the thing is that uh, these, these critters, entities, uh, are often uh, incapable of surviving outside of a host. Mm -hmm. So it's like a parasite that needs a host. And so one way to slip in is to frighten the person in a state of profound fear, your energetic barriers drop and they can uh, slip in. Hmm. Okay. So that's why we tell people if something shows up, you say, if you're not of the light, you must leave now. And so uh, if they stay, uh, then you can say, okay, well, you know, what guidance do you have? Can you help me in my forgiveness work? Uh, you have any tips for me? Uh, you know, mm -hmm. That kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Wow. So basically uh, to answer the question is that like, in, at least in your research, you've seen that these entities are actually in fact, very real. It's not something that's just a generation of the brain creating. Well, so what's the difference? I love that. <laughs> Because <laughs> I just know I'm going to get some message and people are going to be like, yeah, but if you have a mental illness, that can be the brain creating the perception of this thing. And I was like, yeah, but they're very real to the person. So does it matter? Yes. Yeah. So exactly. I love that. I love that. So let's get into, first of all, something we didn't cover right at the beginning, which we might me should have, but what is the alpha one training? What does it do? And why is it so important that for us to boost our alpha, uh, what benefits does it have for us? Well, many, uh, many benefits um, across the board. Uh, there are 24 levels of the alpha training. There are 24 levels of the advanced theta training. And there are 18 levels of the even more advanced delta brainwave training. So uh, each of these trainings is seven days long. And uh, the Alpha One, you come in and you know everything is new. So you get a tour of the building. You're shown the debriefing room where there are canopied beds where you can sit or lie after your session and where the trainer will ask you, you know, well, what happened? And what did you do then? And what did you think about it? And how did it feel? And uh, you do that in your small group. In the uh, single, we have a single and a double. Double, you go into the chamber twice each day and the single just once. In the single, we can have up to five people in the group. In the double, it's only three. So they're very small groups. And you learn so much by hearing other people's stories. Hmm. Uh, and for example, there might be somebody who is, doesn't want to forgive person X. That what they did was unforgivable, and I'm not going to. And then the person next to them had something far worse happen, and they just jump right into the forgiveness, and they start to get all these benefits visible benefits in terms of happiness and joy and just life energy rushing up. And so the person who's in resistance will go, well, well, I want some of that. And I go, well, then do the forgiveness. <laughs> and so people inspire and, and help motivate each other to, to do the work. And so on the first day, there's orientation. Uh, there may be uh, three hours of light class. You sit at a conference table and the trainer sits across the table and shows slides and graphs and uh, you have a brief visit to the chamber where we demonstrate how the scores work and what the different colors of the scores mean if you have gone in the right direction, which is down in suppression training and up in enhancement training. 
you go in the right direction, the score is blue. If you go in the wrong direction, it's white. The numbers actually change color. And if you go so far in the right direction, you set a new record, record low in suppression or record high in enhancement, then the numbers are green. So if you're getting greens, wow, keep going. Whatever it is you're doing, it's working. And if the whole screen fills with white, well, try something quite different. Okay. And then you have the tones. Boom, 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 boom. And the tones get, each one of them is connected to the alpha at a particular place in your head. And when the alpha at that place gets bigger, the tone gets louder. If the alpha gets smaller, the tone gets quieter. And so you're listening to this really a symphony of sound that's coming from you. You are oh. composer, you're the performer, you're the conductor, you're the audience, and hopefully not the music critic because that would be your ego. <laughs> yeah. So can you describe first um, the, the different brain waves? Um, Cause like if someone had never heard about this before, I didn't understand what this was at all at a very base level. Um, what are the different types of brain waves and why, and then why alpha is so important to shifting uh, creativity and personality and the things that you speak up? Mm -hmm. So um, let's introduce the idea of a spectrum of frequencies. If you take a shaft of sunlight and you pass it through a quartz prism, a triangular prism, you know you get the rainbow, which goes from red all the way up to uh, violet. And uh, in the same way, if you take, instead of a shaft of sunlight, if you take a channel of brainwave from somewhere in the head, it contains an, a, a, a spectrum of frequencies. The slowest frequencies of the brain are called delta. That would be like the red light in the color spectrum. And then a little faster frequency is theta. Faster than that is Schumann. Faster than that is alpha. Faster than that is beta. And the fastest brainwaves are called gamma which would correspond in the visual spectrum to the violet. So it goes from red to violet, from delta, slowest frequency, all the way up to gamma, the highest frequency. Now, alpha is uh, the biggest brainwave for most people. The reason that it has the name alpha, because it's not the fastest or the slowest, is because it was the first one to be discovered. Hmm. Back in 1908, by Herr Dr. Dr. Hans Berger, uh, an Austrian psychiatrist, who, who, whose sister had had a, um, an ESP experience with him. And so he went in search of electrical waves in the brain. Nobody knew that they existed, but Volta in France was playing with electrical activity and muscles. And so Dr. Dr. Hans Berger went looking for electrical waves in the brain and he found uh, the first ones, he called them alpha. Now, alpha is very interesting in the whole spectrum because it's a bridge state between normal waking consciousness and the esoteric. Uh, and so if there's some really deep states like theta or delta, uh, a person really, you, you can't walk in as a kindergartner in most cases, unless you're like some super genius, you can <laughs> walk into a calculus class in college and have any understanding what's going on. You first need to learn your numbers. You need to learn arithmetic, and then you need to learn algebra. And then with that uh, corpus of knowledge, then you can begin to understand calculus. So uh, theta and delta are so deep that in most cases, uh, you can't really learn them uh, very well um, unless you first learn alpha. So alpha one is our entry point to all the other training programs. It's a prerequisite 
with it to doing theta one. And so in, in my research, I've, I've focused a lot on uh, alpha. And I found that when you increase your alpha, the alpha one training produces an increase in creativity that averages 50%. That is whopping for somebody to become 50% more creative. What a game changer in their life, in, in their bank account, for example. Uh, the IQ boost is uh, 11.7 points, almost 12 points. And uh, then the research, it shows it's stable for at least a year. We haven't measured beyond that, mm. but there's no fading of the IQ boost, even out as far as a year after the training. The emotional intelligence, or EQ, uh, there's a wonderful book by uh, Thomas Bradbury and Janine Greaves called Emotional Intelligence 2.0. And they uh, point out that uh, EQ it accounts for almost 60% of your success in life. I think they say 58%. Whereas IQ only accounts for 10 or 20%. If you can't get along with people, it doesn't matter how smart you are. Yeah. You can't find investors, you can't have employees. So you need emotional intelligence. And the gain there from our premium double training is 15.8 points, which is unheard of in the EQ universe. They think of maybe, you know, in years being able to go up five points, mm -hmm. 15.8 points in a week. And so in addition to all these benefits, there are also reductions of anxiety and depression and paranoia and even schizophrenia in my research uh, drops from even a 98, 99th percentile into the middle of the normal zone after one week of the BioCybernaut Alpha 1 training. And the reason is that brainwaves rule. There are patterns. Well, for example, if you increase alpha at C3, paranoia goes down. If you increase alpha at O1 or O2, schizophrenia and psychasthenia are reduced. Anxiety is reduced by alpha increases anywhere on the head. And so some of the things are specific and other things are quite general. And so you, alpha is life. Uh, it's uh, your life energy, your source, your creativity. Uh, your energy, your enthusiasm, your joie de vivre, your joy in life. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it's not there forever. Once atherosclerosis sets in, hardening of the arteries, uh, the frequency of the alpha starts to slow in the mm -hmm. spectrum, which is from zero at the bottom of delta up to a little bit above 100 for gamma. Alpha is 8 to 13 cycles per second. Most people center right around 10. Well, and this is slowing once hardening of the arteries sets in, which depending on your diet, genetics, your lifestyle, can be as early as your 20s. So then maybe by the time you're in your 40s, your alpha's gone. Mm. It's down below eight, and then people enter senescence or senility and usually die soon thereafter. So absence of alpha is an indicator of imminently impending mortality. Wow. My dear friends and teachers and colleagues, Dr. Charles Yeager, he was a brilliant clinical electroencephalographer. He could look at a 21-channel polygraph record and make accurate psychiatric diagnoses because the information is all there. You just have to recognize the patterns. Mm -hmm. So he was so good that in the mid-1950s, the California State Department of Mental Hygiene approached him and said, would you please, Dr. Yeager, accept a grant from the state of California? Now, that is not usually how people get grants. They couldn't fight. And, you know, the state went to him and said, please accept this grant. And it was to set up 
to buy EEG equipment and set it up in all the state hospitals across California before Governor Reagan shut them all down. It was a model system. The homeless would be picked up and you know cared for. Uh, one Scientific American study years ago uh, found that 80% of the homeless were, were mentally ill. And so they were cared for. And uh, so every year with a team of technicians, Dr. Yeager would drive to each one of these hospitals and maybe as many as 45 across California. And depending on the size of the population there, spend a day or a week, the technicians would go out into the wards, bring in the patients, put electrodes on, run the polygraph records, give Dr. Yeager the polygraph records and with the patient he would flip through, make recommendations, change their treatment, uh, uh, maybe even release from the hospital. And uh, so after he'd been doing this for 30 years, he and I are sitting at lunch and he shares with me insights that could never make it into any published journal. He said, you know, Jim, if there was a 103 year old guy and he had good alpha in his record, I knew he would be alive next year when I came back. Hmm. On the other hand, it was a young person of 27 and their alpha had diminished or was gone. I would say a very special goodbye to that person, knowing it was unlikely they would be alive when I came back next year. So absence of alpha is an indicator of imminently impending mortality. In Southern California, a large urban hospital did an EEG admission study for six months. Anyone who was admitted to the hospital for any reason, gunshot wound, car accident, stabbing, pregnancy, elective surgery, didn't matter, they were given an EEG hmm. six months later. 50% of those admitted with a non-alpha record were dead six months later. Absence of alpha is an indicator of imminently impending mortality. And unless you do something, it's going to fade over time. Now, meditation, diet, exercise can slow the descent, but the biocybernet alpha train can actually pull people back into higher frequency alpha. Wow. And alpha is life. That it's incredible to know, especially the unpublished part, <laughs> the idea that, that that is something that can predict, you know, longevity of life. Now, some of our listeners may be able to afford uh, what it is that you offer a very, very amazing, incredible experience. I've, I've watched um, interview after interview and other people who've experienced this. And I thought, oh gosh, this is something I want to do. When I save up my pennies, I'm going to do it. But for people who can't, or, or is it not accessible to them? Are there any tips or tricks that you have for them in order to boost or increase their alpha? And then also increase the parts of the brain that would help them connect spiritually as well, if that's mm -hmm. not the same. Well, yeah, there are many things that people can do. In fact, people who are planning on coming for training, we recommend that as early as possible, weeks or months before they come for training, that they eliminate a certain substances from their diet. Caffeine, alcohol, nicotine, onion, garlic. Uh, and a lot of people are surprised. Onion and garlic, yeah, mm -hmm. will savage your alpha. Uh, garlic is really? a person, uh, and it has sulfones across the blood-brain barrier. Uh, people who have, uh, we, we send out to people uh, uh, an article about garlic as a brain poison in advance of their training to help them, you know, get rid of it. And uh, it makes a huge difference in the background alpha. Now, in India, that Brahmin class are forbidden to eat uh, onion and garlic. They understand that it promotes a rajasic temperament, ego activity, uh, willfulness, and uh, it agitates the mind. It reduces your alpha and and this is so crazy because my dad always has said he's allergic to onion. 
and he won't he won't like he can he can always tell right away he says it gives me a headache don't put it in my food and i'm like we all kind of like we're jazzing i'm like okay you're allergic to onion that would make sense yeah well i'll tell you a story uh related to that about chief victor buffalo uh in my canadian center uh we had a, a canadian uh, philanthropist train in december of 2008 and he subsequently put up $6 million to train people from his company. It's a co-founder of a huge uh, company in Canada. And uh, he said the ROI on the biosavernor training was 100. If he spent 20 grand on somebody doing a training, the employee that came back, he felt was worth $2 million to the company. But he also provided funding for over 200 Canadian Aboriginal people. Wow. The training. Now, they are, uh, as a people, as uh, riddled with post-traumatic stress, returning war veterans, uh, in part because of the systemic racism and the and the uh, residential school systems, where uh, as many as fifty percent of the Indian children sent there were killed. They're turning up mass graves now. Right. As yeah. a confirmation, I learned about it from the Aboriginals during the training. But one of the first of these was Chief Victor Buffalo. He had been chief of the four Cree Indian tribes gathered at the huge reservation in Hobima, uh, outside of Edmonton, Alberta. And uh, after he had done his Alpha 4, he came to me. Well, by the way, he was here in Sedona when we were constructing uh, the building. And he walked through the entire building doing prayers in Cree for the success of uh, all of the people who would subsequently train here. So after he'd done his Alpha 4 in Canada, he came to me and he says, hey, Doc, I have a confession. I go, what's that, Chief? And he goes, well, uh, I followed instructions and eliminated onion and garlic from my diet before my Alpha 1 training. I good. I said, what's the confession? He said, well, after my Alpha 1 was over, I went back to eating onions and garlic. I said, really? And he said, well, I came for my Alpha 2. Again, followed instructions, and I eliminated onions and garlic. But after my alpha two, I never went back to them because now I could feel what it was costing me. Mm. Your dad may be uh, more sensitive, more aware. Uh, Queen Elizabeth does not allow onion, uh, does not allow garlic in uh, Buckingham Palace. Understood mm. to bring out not the best in people. Interesting. That I would have never thought. Like that would have been. Uh, a condition of do you do you see that in the brain waves oh yeah yeah <laughs> well I, I find I find a lot of these concepts fascinating and obviously like the training um is something that I'm I'm super interested in um but for those people who are not able to access that like other ways you, you're seeing lifestyle fitness meditation mm -hmm. obviously um, is the primary way it's just slower. So you have a system training that allows people to access this much faster, uh, in order to build their alpha, correct? Yes. Great. Good days, um, you get the same brainwave changes as in 21 to 40 years of Zen meditation. Oh, so do a lot of people find that when they are in this training or they're accessing this type of training that they're having awakenings of sorts, um, they're having more connection to the spirit world? Oh, absolutely. Well, let me tell you a story about uh, a Cree shaman who came for training. Now, as a shaman, as a Cree shaman, if he's awake, he's praying in Cree, either out loud or silently. Never stops as long as he's awake, he's praying. 
So on day three, it's after the session, we're in the canopy room. He's in his canopy bed and I'm interviewing him. There's others in the training. And he says, you know, doc, there were certain parts of my prayer where the feedback tones were louder. And I go, really? Oh my God, that's wonderful. When you discover something you can do or stop doing that makes the tones louder, you're well on your way to developing mastery in control of your alpha, which of course drives the feedback tones. And so we sort of basked in that you know, discovery for a while. And so then I said, uh, well, now, could you tell me what was the difference in the parts of your prayer where the tones were louder? He goes, oh, very good question. And he, he goes, well, when the tones were louder, I had more authenticity in my prayer and I felt closer to creator. Hmm. Oh, yes. You are connecting with the essence of alpha. More authenticity in your prayer and closer to God. And then I said, okay, now I have a, a, a challenge for you. I said, I'd like you to see if tomorrow you could bring that authenticity and the closeness to creator into the other parts of your prayer that didn't show it today. And his eyes got big and his jaw dropped and he goes, how is it that a white man could make me a better shaman? <laughs> from that point on, we were best buds. We were best buds. I know you want to talk about Akashic Records. Well, there's an Akashic Records trailer to this story. Because as it turned out, I had previously scheduled a reading with uh, my favorite reader in the Akashic Records for the day after the training. Now, mm -hmm. this shaman, this Cree shaman, there was some interesting uh, feature like at the end of every forgiveness he reported this every day that there was a breeze that would come from his left blow across and then go up hmm. and the chambers are you know they have a, a, a very tiny exhaust fan to very quietly and gently change the air but there's no breezes in the chamber <laughs> whenever he would do a forgiveness there'd be a breeze that would come from his left sweep across his chest and go up like that and so I had a list of questions uh, for my Akashic Records reader. And after that, uh, I, I remembered this thing happening. So I decided to ask, I said, well, what was going on with that breeze? And the masters and teachers were very, very happy with that question. They said, well, when he would do the forgiveness, the seeds of sorrow would be removed. They would come out of his heart. And this breeze would blow across take the seeds of sorrow up toward heaven where angels would catch it in baskets so they would not fall back to earth because they said the time of suffering for the Aboriginal people is over. Hmm. Wow. So that was them. That was the Akashic Records people telling you that. The masters and teachers are like the librarians of the Akashic Records. You know, I, I want to get into this, but we're going to leave that for our Patreon. So if you want to become a Patreon member, go to patreon.com slash the lovely Aaliyah. And we're going to talk about opening the Akashic records through brainwaves. But before we go, um, are there any lasting thoughts that you'd like to leave our audience about what they can be doing to increase their alpha? Well, certainly, as I mentioned, um, the dietary, uh, and sure, get, make sure you get enough sleep. If you get less than six hours of sleep, uh, you are setting yourself up for metabolic syndrome, which is a precursor to uh, diabetes. So you have to have enough sleep in order to have uh, alpha, otherwise you'd be drifting uh, lower. Uh, now, you can also, if you go to, the, uh, I, my book is available for free to your readers. Um, and the way to access it is go to the website, 
www.biocybernaut.com slash bonus. And you can download a PDF copy of my book, which gives you, first of all, lots of stories about uh, things that people did and obstacles that they overcame in the training. But it also gives a lot of helpful suggestions of what you can do on your own uh, at home uh, to boost your alpha. Because it's one of those things like more is better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, as you were talking about this, uh, I saw what looked like a very cloudy something to the left of me um, that looked kind of like smoke. And I'm only saying this because in the middle of this, th- us talking about this, I'm sitting here going, I'd really like to see angels again. And I'd really like to be able to open this up. Or whatever. Now I kind of feel like I'm seeing stuff on the side of my eye. And I'm like, holy shit, this is happening while we're on the interview. So um, <laughs> we will get into this. That's quite a testimonial. I mean, literally, as we're talking, I'm seeing something out of the side of my eye and I'm like, is my context stuck? You know, okay, here we go. So anyway, um, where can people find you? www.biocybernaut.com. Now it's spelled like astronaut. So it's B-I-O-C-Y-B-E-R-N-A-U-T. And it's a created word. I created it. of course, relates to life, biology, organisms. Cyber is the cybernetic, uh, the calculating technology. An old word for doing arithmetic used to be cipher. Oh, I'm going to go to my room and cipher, which means you were going to calculate. Mm -hmm. So these uh, microcomputers, which calculate important things about the bio, the brain waves, the biological activity of the brain. And then not, it's a Greek suffix, which describes somebody who goes on an adventure. First was Jason and the Argonauts. Now, then we had astronauts and cosmonauts, and now we have biocybernauts. There you go. (laughs) Adventure with the cybernetic technology. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I'm really excited to get into our next conversation, guys. Like I said before, you can go to patreon.com slash lovely Aaliyah and become a member in order to see the rest of this interview. Thank you so much for being on the show and like sharing your genius with us. I know that we've covered a lot and, and it's such, such interesting, tangible things, which make me really excited. So guys, if you like this episode, please send it to someone you love and we will see you in the next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Please share it with someone you love. And if you're interested in becoming a client for energy coaching or card readings, find me at thelovelyalia.com to read more about what I do and to book your own session. And don't forget to add me on the lovely Leah on Instagram for daily content and inspiration and hang out with me on Patreon. As always, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.